So we started last week talking uh, more in depth about following what it means to follow Jesus. Uh, we've been talking a lot over the last several years about walking in step and surrender, listen, and obey. Um, a lot of different ways that we've talked about it. But as we march toward Easter this year, we're looking at aspects of what it really means to follow Jesus. Turning away from everything else in order to follow him. And that, that's why our, our memory verse um, is Luke chapter 9. Last week we saw, and I put this in your notes, a little bit of review, that Jesus' invitation to follow me is the invitation. We see it in the Old Testament, and we see it as Jesus um, gathered disciples to himself as he came, as he came to John and Andrew and James and uh, Peter, the four fishermen. He, he went to them very specifically, invited them to follow him, and he would make them fishers of men. He went to Matthew or Levi, who was a tax collector. He said, follow me. And then we saw Nathaniel and Philip, how, how Jesus reached into their lives in the way that they needed it. And he said, follow me and follow me. And then our memory verse says, if anyone would come after me. So he's talking to a larger group of people. It is the invitation. The Christian life is about following Jesus. It's about mission in the context of relationships. And so it's about when, we, when Jesus says, come follow me, he's He's not just saying, come be my friend. He's saying, come make me Lord and work for my purposes. And so it's about mission in the context of relationships. It's about training to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to obey Jesus' orders. And then we talked for a few minutes, and we'll come back to this in the coming weeks, about how it requires intentional time with Jesus, and alone, but also with others. So, Luke 9, 23, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. So we're trying to get a little more understanding of what that means. Because I really, I think in, in an affluent culture, it's hard to really get our minds around what it means to deny ourselves. And to take up our cross, to sacrifice and then to walk in step with Jesus. So we're trying to dig in and see what that looks like. As so often happens, I had in mind what I thought I was going to talk about today, and, and I just felt nudged for God, uh, by God to go a little bit different direction. And that is that following Jesus is... Um, is a group experience. It's a together experience. When I take stock of my life, and um, so I was at a conference this week sponsored by the Ignite um, organization and Ken Love that I've talked about some. Um, and as, I, as, we, as we gathered and, and some of the people that I knew, good friends, other people are new friends, but I noticed as we gather and we began to talk about our lives and get to know each other, I found myself talking about the moments when God had really worked in my life. And without exception, God had used other people to make a difference. I found myself talking about the pastor that I had when I was in high school, 
who somehow saw something in me and, and about all the hundreds of the people in our congregation, somehow he took an interest in me and he encouraged me and he gave me opportunities and he walked alongside and then he made a difference and, he, and God used him to transform my life. I found myself talking about uh, others who had been a part of my life. And it, and it just, it, it, it was kind of a, I, not an aha moment, but just a strong reminder that when God works, it's almost always through other people. And I think it would, if we had time, it would be a powerful, inspiring, encouraging, perhaps even transforming experience to let everybody in, in this room share just one time when God used somebody else to, to, to transform their life in some way. I think we would walk out with just uh, lifted with joy. Because there's something about hearing the stories of God and how God use, uses other people. And then I got to wondering, then why is it that when I think about um, surrendering to God and allowing Him to use me in, in different ways, it's, I, I always catch myself thinking it's me and Jesus. Why in the world, when, when I take stock of my life, I, I immediately go to the people who have affected me, people God had used, the whole, that the Spirit of God has, has worked in. Some of them don't even know that they did it. And I, and I take stock and I realize that God has been using people to, to transform my life. But then when I, when I think about spending time with God and growing in God and experience Him, my immediate thought is me and Jesus. There's a, there's a, in fact, there's an old song that says, um, he is all I need. He is all I need. Jesus is all I need. And I, and I think back on that and going, well, if, if you're talking about salvation, okay. But that's not biblical. It's not biblical because God calls us to himself. And so what we see is last week, think about the scriptures from last week. Jesus walks along and he sees Peter and, and he says, Peter, what are you doing? Fishing. We, we fished all night, didn't catch anything. Now we're just men in our nets. And, and, and he preaches a great sermon. Then he tells Peter, let's go out, go fishing again. Peter resists because it's not the time to fish. And this is a carpenter telling a fisherman how to fish. And Peter, but Peter does it. And then he has this incredible catch of fish that he has to have his partners bring their boat over to the point where they're sinking. And Jesus, and, and he falls to his knees, recognizing the power of God. And then he says, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. We read that as talking to Peter. You know who he's really talking to? All four of them. And they become Peter, Andrew, James, and John, four of his 12 disciples. It's in the context of relationships. Why, why did he, he get, and then he gathers 12. He gathers Matthew, we talked about, uh, Philip, Nathaniel, Bartholomew, um, a couple others, and he gathers it, but he's gathering, he's got a whole lot more of them along the way until he picks out 12. And then they began to follow him together. They experience him together. And then, and, and we'll talk about more. So when we think about walking in step with the Spirit, it's together. And now maybe you don't need this sermon. 
you know, maybe, maybe you understand all of that. But let me challenge you. When you have your appointment with God, are you thinking in terms of, God, what are you doing in us and with us? Or is it very much individual? For me, I, my confession is, it's very much individual. And God has convicted me that it's about us. It's about together. It's about his body. It's not just about us as individuals. So I want to talk this morning about together. Following Jesus as a together lifestyle. And for me personally, and, and maybe for you, there's so much more to this together connections than we realize. There's so, it's so much deeper. It's so much broader. And before we go to the first point, I, I am watching God arranging things, arranging circumstances, arrange, bringing people into our church community in ways that I've never seen before. I'm watching it from a broader sense. This, this conference that I went to where there are a whole bunch of churches and pastors represented. I'm watching him arranging things together. And, and I think it, if, if my sense is right that there's something going on in the unseen, there's something afoot, then it's going to require a togetherness. It's going to require a connection like we've never experienced before. It's going to require a dependency upon one another because really we can live our whole lives pretty much individualistically right now. But that's not the way God has designed it. Nor will we experience that joy unspeakable at the depth that he wants us to experience until it's a together attitude. First of all, number one, to follow Jesus is to learn together. To follow Jesus is to learn together. And I stuck in there one of my favorite verses that we talk about a lot. Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. Iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. We were not designed to live alone. We were not designed to learn alone. And so as Jesus gathers his early disciples, as we talked about last week, they, they began to follow him and they were, and, and um, so as, as Jesus got into his ministry, he chose 12 specifically to be with him so that they could be with him, so that they could represent him, so that they could spread the news about him, so that they could learn together. And if you notice in scripture, as he's teaching these lessons, they are together. There's every once in a while, he'll, he'll address one of them individually, but they're all still there. And, and I have a hunch that when he's talking one-on-one -on -one with Peter and really going after Peter about something, all the others, the other 11 are kind of standing back going, I'm glad it's his turn. <laughs> I'm glad he's taking Peter to, to town because well, it's pretty uncomfortable doing that. They were, they, were to there. they were together. They were learning together. And so the process would be together, they were watching what Jesus did. And so when he healed people, Afterwards, I can imagine them be coming together with Jesus and asking him, Jesus, what, how did that work? Why did you do that? What, when, you know, when you said that to the person, you know, why did you put spit on one person's eyes and the other you just healed their eyes? Why did, why did you pull one person aside and you, you opened their ears and, the, and another person, you did it right in front of everybody? What, what, you know, and, and so together they're learning. And 
Peter asked certain questions. Matthew asked a whole different kind of set of questions. Judas asked a different question. And they're all learning together. It's not individual experience, but it's a joint experience. And then later on, he sends out 72 two by two to announce the way so that they could, they could go. It's learning together. And so you will never, look at me, you will never learn the depth of the lessons in your personal quiet time that you will learn in a group of believers who are seeking God together. You learn things together, but a lot of times what happens in our personal appointment is he's kind of setting things up and getting things ready, getting, getting our hearts ready so that later on he can help explain it. it. Have you ever wondered why you'll read something and you just can't get it? You just can't get it. And then you get into a group and you're talking about it and somebody else says, well, here's what God showed me about it. And the light bulb goes off. Well, why didn't Jesus just explain it to you in your quiet time? Because you weren't meant to live life alone. It's a get-together experience. That's why it's so important. Hebrews to, in Hebrews chapter 10, do not forsake the gathering of yourselves together. Because you can't... Why do you think Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am more powerful with you. Why? Because he wants us to be together. We were not created to be alone. It's why solitary confinement is the worst kind of punishment. And people will go crazy, literally insane, when they're isolated. We weren't meant to live like that. So we learned to follow Jesus is to learn together. Because you won't ask some of the questions you need to ask that you don't know to ask, but somebody else will. And you'll go, oh, that, yeah, oh, ah. Number two, to follow Jesus is to work together for his mission. To follow Jesus is to work together for his mission. Have you ever noticed that when Jesus was on earth, even when he was walking in a fully human body, he was still using other people to accomplish his work? He was, um, as, as a way, it's, it was a part of training, it was a part of teaching, but it was also a part of experiencing the life that he wants us to have. And so, he sent out the twelve, two by two. Cast out demons, do miracles, announce the kingdom of God. And he sends out 70 or 72 later. Same thing. He was getting people ready for his coming. One of, one of my, I got a lot of favorite scriptures. <laughs> Have you ever noticed? <laughs> well, one, one of my favorite stories in, in, in the New Testament is one time Jesus is teaching, he's, you know, and the crowds are there, and his disciples come to him and say, Jesus, you got to send these people away because there's no place to eat, and they're all getting hungry and tired, and they're going to they're gonna drop on their way home if you don't. And remember what he says to them? You give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. Now, could Jesus have just said, ta-da! And there, and there would have been a basket in front of every person. He could have, but he didn't. He said, you give them something to eat. Why did he do that? Because way back in the Garden of Eden, what we've been learning through Supernatural is that he created us to be co-laborers with him on earth. 
That's his point. Because there's satisfaction, there's joy in serving with him altogether. And so did he, did he say, um, okay, the 11 of you just kind of sit over there and I'm going to have Peter distribute the food. No. All 12 of them began to distribute the food. Why? Because following Jesus is about working together on mission. It's about working together. And I refer to the, the demoniac the, from the Gadarenes. You know, when Jesus cast out the legion of demons and he wanted, to, he wanted to go with Jesus to the other side. He wanted to crawl on the boat and go with Jesus. And he says, no, no, no. You stay here and tell how much the Lord has done for you. And later on, when Jesus returns to that area, there are crowds ready for him. Why? Because of the story that he told. Following Jesus is learning together, working together for his mission. Turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. This is the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount after he goes through the Beatitudes. He says, here's what you are to be about. And just as, as I've said before, let me just remind you that when you see the word you in the New Testament, almost always it's plural. But we interpret it almost always as singular. And so here's what he says. You, being the church, are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? Boy, we could pause and camp there for a moment. Camp. It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You, plural, are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. Let your light shine, plural, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. At the end of Jesus' ministry, he'll say to his disciples, by your love, they will know you are my disciples your love for one another, they will know. And that's exactly what happened in the book of Acts. People were amazed at how they look, how they love one another. To follow Jesus is to work together for his purpose, for his mission. Flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning with verse 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning with verse 12. First Corinthians 12, verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. So he's, he's, he's using the analogy of the physical body, human, physical human body, to the church, to the body of Christ. Both the church at large all around the world and individual congregations. So he says, for in, in one spirit, we were all baptized into water, into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. 
If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. In other words, we're supposed to work together as one body. And if in um, every part of the body is different, has different gifts, different personality, different abilities, different passions, has all, but we fit together. And our tendency is to look at a part of the body that we admire and like and think that's an that's a important part of the body and dismiss who God has made us to be. Well, and so he says, I, you know, if the foot should say I'm not a hand, you know, the hand, they do everything. I can't be a hand. I'm just a foot. So I must not be really valuable to God. That's a lie from the devil. If you're a foot, we need you because we can't walk anywhere without you. Right? And don't let the toes get ingrown. Oh. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. Now let me pause there, because at our business meeting, I said, I believe that God is gathering soldiers to Newsome. People who aren't interested in fluff or just getting their, just getting, you know, uh, you know, a nice feeling. He's gathering people who want to be serious about God, who want to be serious about being the church, who want to be iron sharpening iron and, and to make a difference in this world. That's what I believe that God is doing. And I think that's part of why he's emphasizing this. We need each other. And God brings people to the body according to how he needs us to work. He goes on, but as it is, God has arranged the members, in verse 18, God has arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again to the, to the head, to the feet, I have, I have no need of you. We need each other. And if you are missing, if you are not fulfilling what, the part of the body that God wants you to fulfill, the body is lacking, the body is missing, and there's a vacuum. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. I wish I had time but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. I was at uh, the conference this week. The Ignite group was meeting. There were pastors from uh, multiple different states, um, all different kinds of ministries, all different size churches. And it was one of the greatest experiences of my life at a conference because nobody cared about anything except worshiping God and cooperating with God and encouraging one another. It was, it was incredible because there was just this sense of we just want to be what God wants us to be. We just want God to be honored. We want people to discover who God is. We want to help people walk in step with with God's Spirit. 
Um, and so not only do I see God working in our body, I see God getting people's attention across this country um, and, 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 and connecting us together, people who want to walk in step with God's Spirit. Over the decades of ministry that I've been a part of, early on in my ministry, there were all these conferences about church growth, church growth, church growth. And it was, it was all this, how do you track people? How, how, do, you, um, how do you meet people? And, um, and, and it, was, it was called seeker-focused. And, and we would focus on, here's the kind of music that people like. Here's the kind of activities that people like. Here's the kind of fun that they like their kids to have. And, and, and that, was the, that was the rage. How do you grow... A, churches into these large, massive organizations. And now what, and now what I see is that God is, is, is gathering through this Ignite ministry people who have said, that doesn't transform lives. Amen. What transforms lives is the Spirit of God being allowed to work Amen. and focus and surrender and listen to Him. And we want to be a part of a people who let people who, who lead people into this intimacy with God so that they're walking in step with Him and lives are being transformed and families are being transformed and people are, are coming to know Jesus in small congregations, large congregations, and together. I've never seen a group of people like that before. But He's doing it all over the country, which is an indicator to me that God's Spirit is moving to, to bring about a different kind of revival than we've ever seen. A desire for people to, to know him. That there be no division in the body, but that the members have the same care for one another. If, and here it is. If one member suffers, all suffer together. And so if there's somebody hurting in the New Song family, we hurt with them. We come alongside them. We care. When, when, you know, we, when we've had deaths in our family, you guys just, are you okay? Is there anything we do? Can we pray for you? Um, and I've watched it. I've watched it. But now I see it happening. I, I, I've, uh, I've, so all this stuff that's happening in Ukraine, I've, I've watched an outpouring of, of Christian care that I haven't seen in other crises. God is, God is moving to make this happen. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. God places people in his body as he, see fits, as he sees fit in his time and his way. Number three, to follow Jesus is to add value, to help, to bless others. To follow Jesus is to not be focused on myself, but to be focused on, God, what do you want to do through me to help other people? And turn to Acts chapter 11, beginning with verse 19. So a, a, a couple of weeks ago, we, we mentioned um, Saul on the Damascus road. And Jesus appears to him. With this blinding light, he's blind and he's helpless. He's knocked to the dirt. He has to be taken by the hand into the city. And there he sits for three days. And uh, then God comes to Ananias and says, Ananias, I want you to go and pray for Paul and let him know how bad his life's going to be from here on. 
Uh, my interpretation. How much he must suffer for my name. Now, let me ask you this question. When Jesus appears to Saul on the Damascus road, could he have delivered that message? Yeah. When he goes into the city and, and Saul is blind and not eating for three days, could Jesus have showed up again and delivered the message? Yes, he could have. He didn't do it that way. He got one of his followers, Ananias, to go to him and deliver the message. Why? Because God has arranged it so that his body, his people, have the incredible honor and privilege of being his hands and his feet to one another. Have you ever prayed, God, just, I, just if you could just show up and do this for me? And he doesn't. How many times? I prayed for that. I remember 20-some years ago, I was talking to a, um, a counselor friend of mine. I was going, just going through a hard time and struggling with all this stuff from my dad. And I said, I just wish Jesus would show up and tell me that I am loved and valued and cared about. That's all I want. And he said very wisely to me, you need to get around some men who Jesus will speak through and tell you that. I said, that's too risky. And it is. But that's ex he was exactly right. When we're praying for God to show up, he sends Ananias. He sends other people. Look at this. Acts chapter 11, beginning with verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicians, Cyprus, Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was upon them, and a report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. So they get a report, we need some help over here. And they said, Barnabas, who's son of encouragement, he, he's the one you send in if people need encouragement. When he saw, he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Saul at this point was barely accepted by the other disciples. Remember, because he was killing Christians. Barely accepted. Barnabas, being a son of encouragement, went to Tarsus, looked for Saul. When he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Why did Barnabas do that? First of all, I believe it's because the Holy Spirit told him to. And the Holy Spirit told him to do that because Ananias had said to Saul that he was going to be the apostle to the Gentiles, and he needed to begin to exercise that. So the Holy Spirit nudged Barnabas to go get Saul so that Saul could be in training for the work that God was going to do in him. Barnabas recognized, I don't have all the gifts, I don't have all the abilities, nor should I be doing this all by myself. And so the Holy Spirit nudged him, and he brought him because to follow Jesus is to add value and to help bless others. It's not just about us. 
I've talked to a number of different pastors, and, and I would say, to them, are you coming to the minister's meeting? He says, no, nah, I don't get anything out of it. Multiple pastors, I don't get anything out of it. And, and I almost get mad at them. You know, I'm getting to be a grumpy old man in some ways, I think. And I go, well, how about if you go looking for ways for God to use you to encourage them, especially the younger ones? How about that? They go, oh yeah, best. I guess I could do that. I, well, I hope it sticks next time. So I don't have to tell you. Why? Because our, in our individualistic society, we look for what we're going to get instead of what we're going to give. Amen. Going into the Ignite conference, there were a number of us who, who sensed that uh, part of what we were supposed to be about is to pray and ask God's Holy Spirit to protect the leaders, Ken Love and some of the other leaders, because we just had this sense that God was going to work, that God was going to use this in powerful ways. And so we felt like we needed to be the people, we need, some of us just felt this burden, felt this assignment to be that spiritual protection for them, to look for ways to value rather than ways to get. When you come to worship on Sunday, is that what you're looking for? I'm not asking you to raise your hand or feel guilty. I'm just challenging you. Before you get here, in, in, your, in your appointment with God, how about if we all covenant to pray, God, help, give me opportunities to bless other people today. Give me opportunities to bless you today. Give me opportunities, help me to see other people who might be hurting and come alongside of them. And here's the right side up way of living. When you do that, you will receive more than you will if you come looking for stuff. Amen. That's the right side up way of it. It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Why? Because when we give, when we give God just um, multiplies the amount of blessing that we receive in return. So to serve, to, to, to follow Jesus together means that we are looking constantly to add value, to help others, to, to invest, to bless other people. Number four, to follow Jesus is also to receive from others. Now here's the irony is I just told you, don't come expecting to receive, but expecting to give, and then you will receive but, you know, sometimes it's a matter of pride, not of humility, to refuse to receive from others. We need to be willing to be the recipient of what God might have to do through other people. Because sometimes we get in this habit of coming to gatherings, spiritual gatherings, and people, um, you know, how are you doing? Fine. I'm fine, 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 fine. Everybody, everybody's fine. Now, I'm not saying tell all your problems to everybody, but pay attention to the people that God brings in your life. When you're praying, God, I need help. I need an answer. I need encouragement. Hey, then, then when he sends it to you, pay attention and, and be willing to receive it. Philippians chapter 4, beginning with verse 10. Turn there. Philippians chapter 4, beginning with verse 10. Philippians chapter 4, 
Verse 10 says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. This is the Apostle Paul, the Holy Spirit speaking through the Apostle Paul to the church at Philippi that Paul had this incredible relationship with. Incredible love relationship and intimate, knew each other, cared for each other. In in some ways it, it feels like new song, the way that we have relationship. He says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. You, you wanted to help me, but you didn't have a chance. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, humiliated, have nothing. And I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I've learned how to be content. I've, I've learned to not put my hope in this world. So if, I've, if I have nothing, God is there. And, and if all I have, if I'm alone in a prison cell, in solitary confinement, I know God is enough. God will be enough. God will care for me. God will be, a, but that's not, but understand, that's not his ideal. That is not God's ideal. That's the exception. He says, I've learned to be content no matter what. I've learned to survive no matter what. I can do all things through him who, gives, who strengthens me. Anybody recognize that verse? It's a life verse for a lot of different people. I have learned I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can face any circumstance. Not that I can you know, leap tall buildings in single bound and stop bullets. And that's not what he's talking. He's talking about I can handle whatever circumstances come. And most people leave off the next verse or aren't even aware of it. Verse 14, yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. Paul recognizes, I know I've learned to be able to deal with whatever, but I know that's not God's ideal. And now you've partnered with me. You have sent me supplies that I needed. You have sent me prayers, encouragement that I needed. You've been there for me. That's God's ideal. To follow Jesus is to be willing to receive from others. I got to that conference, went a day early. It's been a a wonderful day with a friend that I've had since I was a freshman in college. And um, that evening, some other people showed up. And there was a fellow by the name of Johnny Walters who was two years ahead of me in college. I knew of him, but I didn't know him. And, every, and he came into the lobby of the motel where we were at, and he knew everybody else in the circle. And he was greeting people, and, and, and I introduced myself to him. I said, we were in college together, but you didn't know me. I was a freshman. You were an upperclassman. Um, and he said, oh, well, it's good to meet you. Next morning, um, we're, we're, a bunch of us were sitting around the same table, and, and he came in. And for some reason, he sat down beside me. Not instead of all the people they knew, he sat down beside me. And so we started talking, getting to know each other, just catching up, you know, asking all the questions, where are you from, where'd you grow up, you know, all that stuff. And for some reason, as, as we're sitting there, he, he, started, he said, I, my wife and I had not planned to come to this conference. We had no intention of coming to this conference. But we re- God just told us to come. And I said, um, and he said, and part of the reason is because we're supposed to be um, 
praying for the leadership of this conference and other people. And I said, that's what I've sensed too. I've sensed the same thing. And I told him how I, I had sensed it. And I said, we need to covenant. We need to be bodyguards for Ken. We need to, to be spiritual. And then words came out of my mouth to, to, to reveal something that deep in my life, some struggles with family stuff that I don't share with people. I just, I don't, it just came out. And as I'm sitting there, his eyes got really big. He said, say that again. <laughs> and so I, I repeated it. He goes, that's my story too. And we began to talk about some things that he encouraged me and I encouraged him at levels that you only usually experience with people that you've known for decades. The Spirit of God in him, the Spirit of God in me. And then throughout the conference, he kept finding me. And we had hours of conversation back and forth, back and forth, to the point where by the end of the conference, he said, I feel like God has created a kinship here. And I don't know why, but I, I think that it's important. And I said, I agree. Now, I, had, I, had I not been willing, been willing to open my mouth and say those things, it's almost like the Holy Spirit forced me and opened myself to be vulnerable I would have never experienced that. He would have never experienced that. We need to be willing to receive. And a part of that means being vulnerable as God leads us to be vulnerable with each other. Because we are not designed to do life alone. And I believe in the days ahead it's going to require a deeper willingness to love one another, accept each other, work alongside each other, be vulnerable, be encouraging, walk along together. Now, in John 10, 10, Jesus promised abundant life. He was telling it to a crowd. And I believe abundant life really comes when we do life together. Amen. Together. So I hope that word together sticks in your mind. And as you spend time with God this week, during your daily appointment, listen to what he might have to say to you about that togetherness. How he might nudge you to pray for somebody else and not just for yourself. To pray for people that he wants to bring to mind. And maybe he'll give you marching orders even to take action. When you're talking to other people, keep your antenna up to see if maybe they need a listening ear or they need a prayer or they need somebody to come along, or maybe they need you to share a little bit of your story in order to allow them to open up and hear from God. Would you bow your heads? What is it that caught your attention in this message? What is it that God wants to say to you? What does he want you, or, or why did he make that stand out to you? What was it that caused it to stand out? What is it that caught you? And what does he want you to do with it? Again, I encourage you to take this message to your time with God each day and, and ask him, Lord, what is it about together that I need to hear from you?
What is it about together that I need to do differently? How are you moving me to invest in other people's lives? How are you moving me to open myself to other people? Lord, we look to you, the creator of all, the sustainer of all, the redeemer, the restorer, to lead us into a deeper understanding of what it means to be the church and to live in such a way that we will be your light and your salt, that people will see you in us by our love for one another and that many others will come to know you be transformed. Guide us as a body, guide us as individuals, guide us as families. Do in us and through us all that you desire. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. If you have prayer requests,